This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Mother is believing that you at least I have a husband, you know. Does anybody here believe it? Does anybody here believe it? We are from Arkansas, no. <laughs> Episode 65, uh, going through the list of baby ballot names. Okay. Next in line would be Jesse. Jesse. Because it's not enough that they have a Jessa, but we know this doesn't matter to the people who have a Joanna and a Johanna and a Jana. <laughs> so certainly Jesse wouldn't be a problem. No, not at all. No issue. What's, it's different. I mean, it's like there's two whole letters different. I mean, you're going to see some repeat when you're pigeonholing yourself into one letter. There's still just weird things. Like, I can't believe they don't have a fucking Jacob. Like, that blows my mind. And it's <laughs> biblical, you know? Like, yeah. it blows my mind that there's not a Jacob in the family. I'm still wishing for Jehoshaphat. Yeah. So, once again, we're recording this part on a... It's a Tuesday morning. On a Tuesday? Things are weird. Tim's schedule's changed um, a little bit. And then uh, the pickle people are... Uh, Support monthly supporters with the server servant's heart. They know the long version, but uh, mm-hmm. of the story. But the short version is last Wednesday because it's Tuesday. Last Wednesday, I had an interview, and then an hour and a half later, I was booking a flight. So, um, I yeah. got a job Rapid doing fire. some consulting work in my old fields, and I went on a little trip, and I got back last night. So, things are while things are in transition. Having to figure, I'll have to figure out a big because I'm doing my vintage. I spend about. 25 to 30 hours a week on this mm-hmm. um and then now i have this new thing but i can't turn it down for the pay yeah so um yeah it'll be a little bit of a juggling act while i'm figuring out a new flow mm-hmm. and how i'm actually gonna work in doing this other work and i don't know so it's gonna be interesting right now vintage is taking a back seat while i figure that out i will of course be getting back to it it's never going away but i just need a little mm-hmm. little time to figure it all out so yep we're in a weird spot right now, but the podcast is not going away. We're just, it might be a little weird week to week and while we're getting this. Rearranging some schedules. Yeah, yeah we got to figure this Finding out. Finding some normalcy. Yep. So this episode is called A Mountain of Duggars, and it premiered December 1st of 2009. And the episode begins with them all on the bus, kind of the tour bus, not mm-hmm. the Gus bus. Correct. Not Gus. The, the, the tour one. And it's, you know, just like kind of chaotic. And then Lego explains that they're headed to the Biltmore House, the largest house in the United States. Mm-hmm. So they're actually headed to visit the Bates again, but they're stopping to to like do this and like meet some other friends along the way. Yeah. So, you know, just like making the little road trip stops. Mm-hmm. And just like he did on the bus when they were headed to the diamond mine in Arkansas, Lego has to make sure that he teaches the kids something about treasures. 
or treasures <laughs> for my my favorite murder fans. Um, quote, I don't know anything about the Vanderbilts, but they put a lot of treasures upon the earth. But you know what, guys? Each one of us are going to pass on, and the most important thing is lining up our treasures in heaven. Mm. Got to work that in every opportunity, you know? Every time it rains, it rains treasures from heaven. Jooby dooby. <laughs> so as they're still driving, there's a funny part where our girl is sitting on Jill's <laughs> lap. And they have a map uh, in front of them, like on the table. Mm-hmm. And Jill asks, where are we going? And Hanny points to the map and says, right there, right there, right there. And I guess she points directly to the Billmore estate. <laughs> and Jill is like, how did you know that? I didn't even know that. <laughs> and Jana is sitting there too and is like, I thought she just pointed to somewhere on the map. Right. So they're both baffled by this. And Jill's like, did you read that? You can't even read yet. And Hanny's like, yes, I can. <laughs> and Jill gives a very big sister. Oh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, that is like, oh, <laughs> can you? <laughs> but yeah, she just like, I think she just got real lucky, but it's just funny. She's like. Yeah, I can. That that little kid, like, confidence. Oh, they're so confident. <laughs> to be a kid, um, I, well, I don't know if I was a confident child. Never mind. <laughs> I can't relate. But I love <laughs> the confidence of other children. Yeah. So they arrive at the Biltmore Estate, thanks to John David, who's doing the driving. Mm-hmm. And there's a funny part where the lady greets them and is giving them a rundown of the rules. Rule rules it's like you were trying to say the rural the ru- rules the rurger the rurger for all our 30 rock fans out there um so the rules like not walking on the carpet and ultimately it's don't touch anything mm-hmm. but she tells them you need to keep your hands like this while modeling like holding her hands in front of her but against like her body yeah and our dancing king <laughs> he chimes in with a little pushback that I love, and he says, but my hands are cold whenever I do that, as he has his hands in his pockets. Yep. So it's just that funny thing where he's not picking up on, he's taking it literally. It's like, you need to have right. your hands like this instead of like the messaging being like, don't touch don't shit. Don't touch anything. But he's no. So he's got his hands in his pocket perfectly <laughs> fine, because you're still not touching shit, but he's like, but my hands get cold. <laughs> like, it's just funny. And then I have a matching clothing square oh oh now you're oh now you're doing that to me (laughs) i know because lego and canon are once again in their matching green yep the green i was looking for that foam belt clip and it was covered covered by that fucking shirt yeah well he doesn't want to defraud us by showing his uh phone belt clip so well you know what it is i feel like every six to eight months baby canon just has like a new event wear or going out wear Mm. For a long time, it was that blue frock. Okay. Because remember, she wore that when they were going to see the kids in the elementary school. Yeah. And then she wore it when they were speaking at ATI, but she just added some fucking pearls. So then right. it was like formal wear. So right now, while she's pregnant, it seems to be this lime green shirt. And then he is wearing, and then this shirt, his version of a green shirt is also a nicer mm. version because it's, you know, not just like a little polo <laughs> so they're both wearing oh and um but the thing that's weird is like normally when lego wears this shirt he's usually wearing like khakis and like more like loafers or like dress yeah. shoes not today though 
he's still wearing his sneaks and a pair of jeans. <laughs> so it's like, you know, business up top, party on the bottom. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what I think of when I think of Lego hair. Yeah. So I think that's what's happening. <laughs> um, You know, it's almost like this is both our versions of like the going out top. Oh, yeah. Girls from my era know the, the going out top. <laughs> you wore the same jeans you wore every goddamn day, but then you bought a going out top and then everything was changed. <laughs> It just it elevated everything. Yeah. So, uh, or or you also wore heels with those same jeans, and suddenly it was mm. like, oh, well, I like me. I had that similar thing when I was in college, where it was like I had like the one pair of nice jeans, nice er like jeans You're that going I had. Out jeans. Those were the going out jeans. So I really didn't wear them at any other time. And then same thing, you bought a new like shirt to wear. <laughs> So you got so you bought a new shirt with the jeans? Not every time, but what I'm saying is like I literally had like in a what felt like I was just keeping them in a glass case break in case of party, you know, was the sign that was hanging on it. Like I had that. It was the only thing I used them for. And then the only thing that changed was usually about every year or so I got a new shirt in order to wear it with them, you know. So. I I feel like in my era there was this weird especially with like MySpace and early Facebook days, there was this weird period of time where I felt like girls were like t- just putting on a pair of heels and then like taking pictures of themselves in their house, like on MySpace and shit. Okay. Um, particularly- like wearing regular clothes. Yes. Like I'd be like, I saw you at that at work today. Like that's what you were wearing today. <laughs> or this other girl, she, oh man, she was like um, a mom of a million kids, like very young, but she would always try to post like sexy pictures. She'd be wearing like her rolled down Sophie shorts and like a tank top and then put on heels and then like make a whole photo album on MySpace. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? But it was this really weird time period where it was like, oh, heels, Classy. like sexy. Yeah. Like I'm so And they're wearing the exact same thing. Like they, I saw them in earlier. Like, it's just funny. Like, it wasn't like they dressed up entirely, but they're just like, you put on the heel, you're a new woman. Why are you wearing your Panda Express polo? <laughs> I'm only saying that because when I worked at Panda Express, we had different colored Panda Express polos. So that's what I imagined in my head was like, you're wearing your frumpy black pants and your ex- Panda Express polo. But when I go home, I'm going to put heels on. You yeah. Know? I don't want to say too much about one of my co- a co-worker because it would give it too much away. But that's kind of what was happening without a logo. <laughs> I, I kid you not. That's what I, I was like. That's what you were to work today. It was oh, almost, man. almost like two steps behind below that. Bad. It's very funny. But it's you know what it was. It's also like the peep toe heel. That was a big thing mm. at the time. And the g- good thing about the peep toe heels when you were in a rush, you all, all you had to do was paint your two toes that showed. <laughs> so like that was like the peep. Uh, or so they're like a like the peep peekaboo you know style. That's funny. Uh, heel and it's like but then when you took off like the whole shoe that was like the boo portion because like you would just see two two point painted nails and the rest were like janky and it was like peekaboo because it's like it's not good look but every girl oh, out there man. knows she's done it you just update you just update those two toes yeah then the outer claws are still as is yeah that's that's well that's how it was for me i saw my sister getting ready for the clubs just like that i'm pretty sure it's more universal than just the two of us hilarious so as they walk in, they get co- to this Biltmore estate. Mm-hmm. They get quite the fanfare. Yeah. They are surrounded by their people, old white ladies. <laughs> so, I mean, it, they are getting, it's just like, we love you. Yeah. Oh, we watch your show. Oh, you're such a great fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just like, 
It's like a pap walk. Yeah, know? they're getting heaped with praise. And I got a phone belt clip, but on John David. Yep. Yep, I wrote that down. Little little John boy coming through for us. <laughs> so they're getting a tour of the house, and as you'd imagine, um, not much of it is super riveting, like watching people watch things. <clears throat> so not a ton is worth recapping. But there was some funny moments. Mm-hmm. When they're in the banquet hall, Lego points to some statues up above, and he's like, is this some of their relatives or something? And the lady's like, no, that's Joan of Arc. And it made me laugh. She says it kind of condescending. Well, to be clear, I don't expect him to recognize a statue to be Joan of Arc necessarily, especially way up high and the way it looks, yeah. like whatever. But it was still just funny that he was just like, is that the, like their relatives or something? And she's like, nah, Joan of Arc. <laughs> the lady that was their tour guide seemed like she was like not super into it. So when she would answer questions, she was kind of answering like an asshole like through a lot of this. And it wasn't like outright, but it felt... It felt like she's like it was a teenager where the beginning of every answer had like a ugh and an eye roll. Is good. Well, <laughs> she did say at one point, "I can't imagine having one kid, let alone 18. I'm <laughs> yeah, like, "You're not interested like, in children." And I'm like, "But I'm just like, she's just not interested in children. Maybe she shouldn't have been the run one running the tour." Of course. So he also goes full boob and asks if they can all stand around the giant table in the banquet hall. Um, that earlier he would said when they walked in, "Yeah, that's a table our size." Yeah. And I assume he wanted like a photo or something. Correct. But it's totally beyond the allowed areas. And there's, in fact, there's actually a lady standing kind of like guarding yeah. it almost. And that poor guide lady that Tim is referring to, she's like, um, and she's kind of like turning around. And Cannon is like, um, she chimes in, kind of helping this lady out. So, and Michelle is like, I don't think so. <laughs> um, and her husband, being the, buffoon that he is is just like no okay no all all right he's like, trying to create that content yeah so lego does his normal type joke saying i wonder what they take for this place this probably would meet the needs of our family pretty well mm, there it is and canon talks about how jim bob has a frugal mindset and it's like it's in his blood and that a friend of theirs says that when he walks he squeaks and she says, quote, it's really true. He still thinks that way. It wouldn't matter how much money he'd still be tight with it. <laughs> but we know. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's amassed millions of dollars and won't adequately pay his children who helped earn those mm-hmm. millions of dollars. So tight with money is generous. <laughs> I'd call him greedy, but you know. Right. At one point, when the guide is pointing out some of the family portraits, Jennifer starts screaming. And Lego says, guys and beards, it scares her. Which might be a funnier joke if it hadn't, we didn't know from before that he yeah. just took, he relished in torturing her, mm-hmm. the poor child, while he was in a in a beard. So yep. it's like, otherwise, if it, if it was just a one-off where you're like, uh-oh. You'd you know, be like, like oh, okay. oh, okay. But like, you're like, no, mm-hmm. you actually, like, remember when you like enjoyed that a little bit and like yeah. you like forced it on her? You didn't actually care about her or want to hold her. You were just like, she's crying. Yep. Got to create that content. The kids in general are getting tired and it's, you know, getting boring for them. Mm-hmm. And in a talking head, um, paired with Hanny, by the way, our dancing king 
shares a sentiment I think many of us can relate to, saying, I was tired from walking. I <laughs> wanted people to pick me up on a chair and walk ar- walk me around, but they didn't. <laughs> Same, brother. Yeah. Same. That's how I feel a lot. Hanny <laughs> uh. leans over and whispers, don't say that. <laughs> so she's just, I love how they're just like, he was like, don't pick your nose. And she's like, don't be saying that shit. Like they're yep. always just like. <laughs> they're very funny together. <laughs> they are. They're a good little duo. We see some of the cooler aspects of the home, like the bowling alley, Mm -hmm. like the wooden pins and talking about somebody being back there to set them back up. The indoor pool, which is really deep. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, yeah, you know, it's cool stuff. And leave it to Lego hair to point out the washing machine to the girls girls. only. (laughs) Look at this washing machine, girls. Isn't it something? I just thought that was very. Yeah, I was. I was very on brand. Yeah. Uh, that's all I have for the this segment. Do you have anything else? I remember when they said that they were going to the Biltmore House. I got excited thinking there was an Arizona connection. Because the big resort here that was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright is the Arizona Biltmore. It is not. It's not. Um, they said that it was like the area of Europe that, it, that the Vanderbilt family came from. And then a moor is like a kind of like a field or like marshland or whatever it is like rolling hills kind of like area of nature so that's why they called it the Biltmore estate and then all these old houses like that are like we have 55 bedrooms what do you first of all what are you going to do with 55 bedrooms was it that many bedrooms it was 65 rooms but i thought it was like not that many bedrooms it was like 30 or 40 oh, okay but like even then i'm like what are you going to do with that many bedrooms and number 2 you know that people have to that have to clean their house aren't going to build that many bedrooms the only thing that's funny to me is I'm like, when you see gigantic houses today, I feel like there's never enough bedrooms. <laughs> like, I'm like, if you're going to have a gigantic house, why is it still only five bedrooms? Like, yeah. do you see that? Like, mm-hmm. I'm like I think that's weird. But then they'll have like 14 fucking bathrooms. And <laughs> like, when I've talked about this before, I had so many people be like, well, you know, because we have big houses like that, you have a lot of people over and you have a lot of bathrooms. I'm like, but why do you have, like, it'll be completely disproportionate to me to like bedrooms mm-hmm. in, a, in a number that I'm like... I would have more bedrooms for that many bathrooms. Yeah. There's a Simpsons episode where Homer is at uh, Mr. Burns mansion. And at the beginning of whatever they were doing, he gives Homer like a stein of beer. So Homer has been drinking beer and they've been walking and talking and doing stuff going through Mr. Burns, like copious amounts of bedrooms. And at one point, Homer's like kind of standing awkwardly and then he goes, I'm sorry, Mr. Burns. I really have to pee. Where's the bathroom? And he goes, go down the hallway. It's the 235th door on the left. So then it's a collage of Homer going to all these doors and opening them. And then he comes back. Ah, and Mr. Burns goes, did you find the bathroom? And he goes, uh, yes. <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> That's all I had. There was a Jana. There was a there was a point where Jana got to say some words. That doesn't happen very often. Oh, what'd she say? Um, it was just a comment about one of the little kids. But it and it was like it wasn't a talking head. It was kind of just like during them taking the tour, they pulled her aside and asked her a question. But oh, she talked about her dad being a visionary. That's what it was. It was before Cannon was like talking about him being yeah a tightwad. She was just like, my dad's a visionary, but not this big. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. So, but it was just rare. I feel like we rarely get. You know, yep. like Jana dialogue. Yep. So switching over the episode to the next segment, 
Now they're at an apple orchard. And there's a kind of long scene of them taking pictures with mm-hmm. the little like cutouts, you know, like the little it was pretty cute. put your face in it type thing. Um, do you have anything to say on that before I get to, I mean. There was the funny little kid comment was one of the little boys was in one that was an apple that had like Western gear and a lasso. And at one point he goes, I'm an apple. And it was funny. And then somebody else came up and he was like, I'm going to lasso you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah. So they do all the pictures and then before going out through the corn maze. And there's just lots of watching people meander. Mm-hmm. Um, but our girl, <laughs> she comes through with some cuteness. And I would say this is an our girl, Johanna, before we get there, if you're good with putting it on before. Yep. So she, they're, you know, walking through this maze and she says, are we getting loosed? <laughs> I don't like it because it makes us get all loosed. <laughs> Um, so uh, luckily they made it out. So they did not, in fact, get completely loose. They weren't completely loose. Just yeah. partially loose there for a minute. <laughs> but it was so cute. But she was just like, I don't like this. This is kind of scary. But it was just the, are we loosed? She has that little kid, like, matter of fact way of saying certain things that makes me chuckle. She's so fucking cute. I love her. So it's late in the season for apple picking, but they were kind enough to save a few trees mm-hmm. so that they would have something to pick when they got there. Oh my god! And these apples were huge. Yeah, like d- I think they compared them to the size of like a small Maybe pumpkin. A small pumpkin, like gigantic apples. They were it was crazy. Uh, and then they go and pick from the pumpkin patch, and they were good pumpkins too. Yeah, like I always have to get like store pumpkins, and they look like shit. Like these were like good looking pumpkins. I like the ones that aren't like perfectly round. I like the ones that are kind of like tall but then a little like wonky like the top is a little bit crooked like i like pumpkins that look like that yeah well it's because we're wonky you know so yeah relatable (laughs) that's all i have that's kind of it like this episode was kind of a filler episode this episode was watching them watch things and watching them walk yeah there was only one point when they were in the corn maze um where i potentially put a Lego Harris the parent only because he was the only one in the corn maze with like three or four kids and it was very funny because uh, at the same time it was like one of the kids had to pee and then and then they were loosed and then it was all the it was like all these rapid fire things and watching him have to like turn around and struggle and it's like oh you kind of feel how your daughters feel like every day of their goddamn lives we can cover that <laughs> where is that uh where is that Lego has to parent. Boob has to parent. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, and it, I forget it may have been Jackson, but or but just like one of them being like, I have to go to the bathroom. He's like, This is oh man, this isn't really a place because they had just like gotten in the corn maze. And yep. I was like waiting. I couldn't remember this whole scene. Like I vaguely remember this episode, mm-hmm. but it's not like specific. And I was like, I hope a kid doesn't pee their pants and then they show it. Like that's what I kept <sighs> thinking. Thank God there was none of that. So you like, ever no. been in a corn maze? I don't think so. I only went to Fear Farm once and I'm like, was there a corn maze there? I don't know. Um, No, I haven't been able to. I haven't done these fall activities. I'd like to, but it just has never been that. Mm. I've never had the time. I've never had someone to go with. You've always been at work. I've never done any of these fall things. So, Mm. nope. Have you ever been in a corn maze? Um, I don't think I have ever been into a corn maze. It seems confusing, though. 
I did read a thing where you can like pick a side. Like if you follow, like you pick one of the walls, you can literally just follow that wall and eventually it'll lead you all the way out. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not well versed in. In corn maze etiquette? No, not. The other thing I think of is there's a, I think it's, on um, once again, Simpsons. Simpsons is a thing right now. Um, I think it's like a model UN or like they have to do a book report on like a country and Bart's completely not prepared. So the the country he gets is like somewhere in like the Middle East. And he's like, oh, so-and-so's, this country's um, main export is uh, corn. Or as the Native Americans called it, maize. <laughs> it's like that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, kind of a kind of a filler episode. Yeah, nothing nothing great going on. So, all right, I guess that's it for now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So we are finally recording part two on, t- it's Thursday at 10.27 p.m. It's a late one. We are surviving, not thriving. This is a night dig. Definitely a night dig. This is digging up the Duggars nights. It definitely is. Tim is somewhere in the, in the midst of a eight day stretch, no days off this week. Awful. And then I got my whole new work situation I'm trying to get accustomed to. So we're just, you know, we're surviving, not thriving, but we're yeah. here. It's the first step. Still here. All right, night dig. We got our uh, we got our big floodlights on, so we can see where we're digging. Yes. Yep. Oh, do you know what I just thought of? Just because now so many days have passed since the first time we recorded, it's like it's like uh, orders of business all over again. Okay, almost. I'll take that order. Um, our girl Hanny turned eighteen the other day. Yeah. Happy yep. birthday, Hanny. Oh, Hanny, our girl. I hope she got in a boxing class. And our friend Hanny Haymaker. Yep, that's what she does. <laughs> Happy birthday, Hanny. Okay, so after letting it air out for a week while we talked the history of TLC last episode, I ultimately decided I did still want to touch on at least some of the points on Jill and her book that I didn't get to in the last two episodes. Okay. <laughs> Mostly because while I was reading things, thinking it was, you know, for myself, not so leisure reading, but, you know, kind <laughs> of. Tim got to witness how mad I was getting um, <laughs> and, and was like, maybe we should talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> so here we, we are. We've said similar things in the past when they've talked about social media stuff and you're just like, oh, the comments. Yeah. So, yeah, very appropriate. So my goal in the previous episodes were was to focus on the stories that seemed most relevant to her evolution, mm-hmm. which I say on purpose is extra salt in the giant wound that Lego has. <laughs> Um, So things relevant to Jill's evolution and also the changing dynamics within her family, Mm -hmm. particularly with her father, of course, but any shift with him leads to a shift in the whole family. Yeah. So today I want to focus on some of the other themes that we didn't get to touch on or that I want to dig a little deeper into. Okay. While some of this is from her book, a big chunk of this today is from press interviews that she did leading up to and after the release of her book. I think a lot of her interviews gave 
further insight and were pretty interesting considering those types of interviews can be painfully the same. Oh, yeah. Because they have their talking points. Yeah, I mean, and, and, I, and, and I don't say that even as like a huge knock. Like, I'm like, how many times do you, how many ways can you say the same fucking thing over and over without yeah. giving away too much, without, you mm-hmm. know, like, but she did a pretty good job that they, most of them were still pretty interesting and like, okay. um, pretty independent of the cells. Like, she would talk about the same things, but she kind of said them different, which I think was amazing because I can't even, like, I'd say I the same thing. Keeping those things all together, yeah. yeah. So I want to start with some things that I think really show her growth, starting with her actually calling IBLP a cult, Ooh. which I think is a huge step. Mm-hmm. In the book, she said, quote, our decision to enroll Israel in public school represented a significant step on my own journey out from IBLP, an organization that I was finally able to see clearly. It was a cult thriving on a culture of fear and manipulation. And umbrellas. Yes. <laughs> so she calls it out directly in her book, but expands more in an interview with People Magazine saying, quote, I really do think that IBLP is a form of a cult. I think that even if you remove the person in leadership, a lot of those same values and principles are still being taught. So it doesn't fix the problem. I think that's what some people think. Like, oh, we've removed Bill Gothard from the situation. It makes everything better. No. It changes and maybe adds a nice storefront to the picture, but it doesn't change the overall principles that are still being taught and held to. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you see situations like that where, like, it gives them a scapegoat. Oh, totally. Because they can be like, oh, yeah, all the bad stuff was because homie over here. Like, we're not. We're the new and improved version. And I think this is something that we will touch on in the future as we discuss different people at different points in time. But there does seem to be very careful wording coming from some who grew up with an IBLP. I've noticed some specifically say, we're not followers of Bill Gothard or, you know, like Mm. Bill Gothard's teachings, which is different from saying you don't follow IBLP. Yeah. So just something I've noticed and we'll talk about it points. It's a little PR spin, like when we talked about TLC and it was like, well, we're not... these are the things that happen with this person. It's like, no, you're you're still connected. Yeah. She continued, I think that's the scary part, that you really have to look deeper and see how, how does this affect people in the long run. My dad even said somewhat recently on a family group text, he was like, you owe your life to Mr. Gothard. I'm like, no. <laughs> First of all, I'm like, no, cracked me up. <laughs> But also, I'm really glad that she mentions this in the interview because we can directly contrast it to a story from her book that illustrates her change in mindset regarding this specific topic. Mm -hmm. In the book, she talks about how after the show started airing, what do you know, suddenly Billy Boy gave a shit about their existence. Yep. When he had it before, they weren't one of the model Mm -hmm. families. They were just what the fuck ever. Now they're a giant billboard for his teachings Funded by TLC, so even better. (laughs) So now he cares. Yeah. So he comes to Legoland to meet the family, and as Bill makes his way down the line and approaches Jill, she says, quote, When it was finally my turn, I thrust my hand out and blurted out the words I had been rehearsing for days. If it weren't for you, Mr. Gothard, I likely wouldn't be here. He looked intrigued, his smile growing even wider. I stammered on. My parents have always told me that they would have stopped at having children after they had the twins, numbers two and three. I'm number four, so thank you for teaching them that children really are a blessing from the Lord. I don't remember what he said in reply, 
but I know what I felt, and it wasn't embarrassment or awkwardness. In my eyes and in the eyes of everyone I knew, Mr. Gothard was a legend, a man who we all looked up to. To have his attention on me for just a few seconds was enough to leave me feeling on top of the world. As Sweet Jilly Muffin Approval Hunter, it was a moment that I would treasure for the rest of my life. <laughs> Never meet your heroes. No kidding. So I think that it's a big deal to go from that to like, um, no, actually, like she <laughs> was. Because you know that back then and for years and years, she truly believed that. Yeah. That every kid from her on were blessed to be there and owe their very existence to him. And that's literally what they'd been taught their entire lives. Right. I, I wonder if Pest, JD, and Jana, like, did they have to grovel as much for their existence <laughs> or like... Since they would have been there anyway, were they, like, spared? It doesn't mean as much, yeah. the groveling, because they would have been there anyway. In, you know, back when they maybe would have been part of, like, a three-child church or something. You know, he talks about a two- <laughs> Lame. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Bush League. So, more from Jill on IBLP being a cult and messaging in general. She says, I think that you just have to not look at the sugar coating or whatever. They try and gloss it up and repackage it. But you have to look at the long haul, how it really flushed out. What do these principles look like? She also says you have to be careful and not to get sucked into something because it looks great or because you see a family that you're like, oh, I want to be like that and ignore the warning signs. Hmm. Which I love that she literally uses her family. Yeah. Or, or, to, be, or to be fair, she says a family. I mean. Is there a winky with that? Right. But that she... Use that as an example of being a possible draw into a cult. It just shows that underneath it all, she knows that that's exactly what they had the potential to do or were trying to do. 100%. So moving from cult talk and more into a faith in general, Jill has said in various interviews that, quote, I do feel like sometimes faith is weaponized. Yep. I mean, that's an understatement. It fucking yeah. happens everywhere. But Derek expands more on that topic in an interview with CNN. He acknowledges that the death of his father is what really shaped his faith and made him realize how short life can be. Mm -hmm. Relatable to a lot of people, but particularly for those like him who lost a parent at a young age. Correct. But even so, he makes a point to say that he and Jill don't want people of faith, quote, weaponizing the scripture and emotions as they have witnessed. It's a very long tactic. He also said, quote, you don't want to be a travel agent for guilt trips and tell people... <laughs> Well, you should come around and do what I need you to do because we don't know how much time we have and you just need to get in line. I kind of like that line. Travel yeah. agent for guilt trips. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I That's think I might funny. use that at some point. <laughs> he continued, quote, we don't want to have a false sense of healing either. I think that's been a big part of our journey too. Realizing that we want true healing, not just faith healing. It's important. Yep. I think it also shows like the tie between not only what they went through from like a church side, but also like there's a personal stake. Oh yeah, there, they, there was when when it comes to like how they deal with things as they grow up and not deal with things as they grow up, and how they solve interpersonal conflict and how they communicate. Like there's so much of this other personal level there that's outside of just this is what you're your religious organization did mm -hmm. to you, you know? yeah 
And I'm going to leave this here for now, but I will be bringing this topic back up later on. So now I want to shift to the topic of giving space. In a Salon Talks interview, Jill talks about how her relationship with her family ebbs and flows. And right now, with the release of her book, she knows it's best to give everyone space in the situation. Hmm. Giving both her family members and herself the time and opportunity to evaluate and process feelings. She said, quote, you might need time to process and there will be a lot of triggers that you face that might push you away for a little while. Or unhealthy, toxic situations where abuse is continuing, you may have to cut off complete contact. Gee, I wonder who she's talking about. (laughs) Maybe the person that tried to weaponize the rest of that family against someone. Hmm, funny. (laughs) But my favorite thing that she said was, quote, I think for us, it's just a matter of each step and each phase that we're in, just taking a look and saying, okay, how do we feel about this? And then day to day, like, how do I feel today? Do I feel Mm. like going to this birthday party? Do I have the energy? Am I in a healthy place or are we at our limit and I don't have time to go to this hour long function and then come home and have to debrief for three hours? Is that where we're at right now? I think that's good to just take those moments and process as you go. And I actually really appreciate her saying this because it's articulated some of my own feelings. Her talking about maybe you do go to the one hour function, but it turns into an hours long processing after the fact that you Mm. have to feel up for that. Yeah. I feel like it's easy on the outside to wonder why people like just can't show up. I, I know people sometimes have the mindset of, you don't have to get into it with them. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Can't you just come? Like, I'm sure we have some of our own family members who think this about us, to be mm. quite honest. But it's never as simple as just showing up. Yeah. When there's tension, baggage, pain, you know, like things like that involved. It's not that easy. Mm-hmm. It's totally exhausting. Because even if the interaction goes relatively okay with no big occurrences. It usually takes a lot of energy and headspace leading up to even get yourself there. Yeah. And then even if everything goes okay, you're usually on edge, kind of waiting for something to happen or not happen or, you know, whatever the fuck Mm -hmm. it might be. And it's all just exhausting. So sometimes the solution really is just to not go for your own Mm well-being. And I like that she pointed out the process of being like, Am I ready for the emotional aftermath of going to this event? <laughs> yeah. Because it's so accurate, and I think we all have felt that like at one point or another. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about it, like when we've left things, you know, things with my parents aren't great. And like when there's been family things that we have gone to, like we spent the entire drive home talking about, oh, did you notice this? Did you see this? Did you do that? It wasn't like anything happened big on there there was no confrontations there was no issues but it's like there's still just a lot of things that you have to kind of unpack because things are unresolved you know yeah and it's like sometimes that's sometimes i don't have the emotional bandwidth to deal with that yeah and for me it's like the fucking lead up more than anything like <laughs> I, i'm not saying that the aftermath isn't like whatever but like to me it's for like a person with anxiety the fucking getting there is the worst goddamn yeah. part where you're just like because you're you're running the scenarios, you're you're just like amped up. You're like, no, it's just it's it's a lot. 
especially when people like us are in that situation it's like that's probably not the best forum to like air things out so like if things happen that are going to trigger certain emotions in i'm just taking it for me if people if those things are going to happen i don't necessarily want to start that conversation there oh, and, yeah. you know what i mean like you're in a forum where it's not that's not the time or place well, and looking at it through the lens of us like i already have um issues with you know my parents were like they do not understand what's the appropriate time for certain things no fucking kidding and I re- they like back you into a corner to be like oh well you have to you have to address this in the way that i want you to because of the form that we're in i'm sorry i always think about like proposals that happen in like big public places i'm like what is that person going to say no and walk away when you know like a sporting event where like 50,000 people are looking at the jumbotron like that's not <laughs> yeah well it's like specifically talking about your parents like you were where it's like I thought I was in a safe environment to see, see them for the first time and it ended up not being safe like, they tried to bring <laughs> stuff up right then and there a funeral, at a funeral way. in front of everybody it was very embarrassing our pickle people know the story but mm. like that's the thing was like that took a lot of lead up for me to even do that. But I was like, they can't, they wouldn't possibly yeah. do this now. And they did. So yeah. it's like, I do like, I do like the fact that you call our supporters pickle people. It makes me chuggle every <laughs> it time. Just, just happens. So that's what you are. <laughs> you're, you're pickle people. What up pickle people? So on the same topic of space and boundaries, when asked if she had contact with Anna during an access Hollywood interview, she said, no, she hadn't, but that she does see her, you know, at events from time to time, saying, quote, I have seen her on a few occasions, but I also want to respect. I know she's asked for some space, so we want to respect that as well. Listen up, Famey. That's what I was going to say. Maybe don't do that at a funeral like Tim's father. Just <laughs> saying. This is, this is really geared towards her. Yeah. Um, she continued, quote, I think when you're learning to set boundaries in your own life, you also learn to respect other people's boundaries. So I cannot imagine all that she's going through, and I just also want to give her that space. And I think that's so true. I think people who have never set a boundary before in their fucking life have a hard time seeing, understanding, respecting other people's boundaries. Like, they just don't get it. So I do feel like a lot of times people who have set their own are a bit more likely to respect others as well because they just understand it more. Mm -hmm. Why I always think of it's like you look at other people's actions through the prism of your actions and it takes a specific kind of person to be able to take themselves out of themselves and put themselves in somebody else's shoes Mm -hmm. or try to empathize or try to think about the circumstances they have and people that can't do that assume that everybody is motivated by the same things they are motivated by Mm -hmm. and just because it's the next thing in this same interview i'll talk about it but they flat out asked jill why she thinks anna stays with josh and she said i have no idea why anna has decided to stay with josh and what she's dealing with there and everything i have no idea and i'm just i guess watching with everybody else just kind of what unfolds (laughs) and it's really how she answered in her body language (laughs) 
I'll, I'll have to share the video, but she she just like has like she, she's just like I have no fucking clue, yeah. and she even makes like some kind of like yeeshish type faces <laughs> where she's kind of almost like biting her lip a little bit, but she's just and she kind of like turns to the side and she's just like I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. It's kind of like I don't know what to tell you. Like right. I don't fucking know what this lady's doing, and I'm just watching like the rest of you. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Next, we're gonna talk siblings. And not just because Jill has 1,274 brothers and sisters. Okay. Do you understand? Do you understand that? That That subtle reference right there? No. Rizzo in A Muppet's Christmas Carol. Okay. You don't remember that? Mm -mm. When he's like, I have 1,274 brothers and sisters. (laughs) Isn't it when he's like talking about like being alone and he's like, I don't know. Like, (laughs) yeah. So, any hoozle. But, um, also because it's so it's not just because she has a lot of siblings but also because it was such a big topic in our previous episodes because of how lego hair weaponized them against against each other mm-hmm. whether it be by comparison of who did it better ala ginger was the more respectful daughter in pantsgate <laughs> or using the younger ones as guilt you know, guilting the older ones for being a bad example to them, mm-hmm. all the way to actively pitting them against each, against each other by saying you're with or against him or, you know, you can't be neutral and getting them all to blame you for things that both have and have not even happened. Yep. Um, oh, and the minor detail of repeatedly using them to intimidate and send your messages, soldiers to do all your dirty work for you. Can't forget that one. The mob tactics. Yes. Sending over and being like, Dad says you got 24 hours. You just lo- you were looking for an opportunity to use that again, weren't you? I was. It's your favorite. Before we get into some of the things she said in regards to her siblings surrounding the release of her book, I first want to reference a quote from her book I never shared about how she was trying to cope while she was dealing with all this like crap going on. Okay. Saying, quote, Now most of my family was against me. I wasn't built for this. I'd experienced stress and trauma before, some of it caused by individuals in my family, but I'd always been able to count on the rest for support. They had been my gravity, the force that I had never had to question and could always rely upon. But now it felt like they were gone. Some were still there, but it was different and more distant than before. They didn't know how to handle it either. Despite having my own wonderful family of four, there was a part of me that felt alone. I had no frame of reference for dealing with that. Damn. And that like kills me when I read that mm-hmm. because your siblings are, they already are just like this huge part of your life, but they were each other's like everything in a way. Mm-hmm. They were in such a bubble that that's all that they had. You know, their entire social circle circle was their siblings day in and day mm-hmm. out. And granted, we, we learn that it was, you know, taught to keep things shallow. But even yeah. still, their siblings were who they were with day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And in this bubble, cut off from the world for the most part. So to go from that to suddenly feeling like you've lost the majority of them, and that had to be so hard for mm-hmm. for her to navigate, while also losing her parents at the same time, too. Right. So she suffered so much loss. And I just can't imagine having 18 siblings and the vast majority of them either actively not being supportive of you or not able to support you, even if they like wanted to. Yeah. Which we'll get to in a minute, but it's very sad. 
In her various interviews, much like how she describes her relationship with her parents, she also says her relationship with her siblings is complicated. Quote, I kind of refrain from saying specifically who is like in our corner and who's still sorting things out. But other than just the positive feedback that I've had from one of my sisters, Ginger, she doesn't care that I say anything, but she's been very supportive and positive. And then some of the other ones have been supportive behind closed doors. I just know for them and the space that they're in, they have to be careful. And along the same lines, but in a different interview, she said, quote, other siblings have been private, pri- privately supportive, and then some have not been quite as supportive. And that's okay. I also see where they are at, and I'm like, I was there not very long ago, so I can extend some grace. That's very emotionally mature. Very. Being able to understand what situation that they're in or where they still are, and then being able to see that she was there before, and yeah. Exactly. Very, very emotionally mature. I think she's handling this really well. To say who supports her would essentially be outing them to Jim Bob, which would be very bad for them. That's something that the other person has to be prepared for. I mean, we saw how long the road, you know, it took for Jill to start to stand up for herself or stand in her own beliefs and decisions, and they may not be ready for that. No. And also, they saw how badly it turned out for her, so they're probably even more scared now. Like, honestly, they've seen the fucking wrath, so now it's like, going forward, do you think anybody's going to be as ballsy as Jill? Maybe. I mean, there's a (laughs) lot more kids to go, but I can see why they're just like, ooh. Yeah. And especially if they're still in his home. That adds a whole other layer to it. Mm Mm-hmm. If they're still in the home, that also means that they don't have a partner to, like, lean on for support, which can be, you know, incredibly helpful. Right. Like, there's such a lot of gravity to this situation, and going up against it alone would be tough. So, sometimes just having your, like, hype man at home, even if even if you're, like, fighting the battle yourself, it's not to be said that, like, it's only because of having a partner is the only way you can do that. But Correct. Th- there's something to be said by having someone in your corner. Mm-hmm. So it's like if they're at home, they they don't have that, you know? No, not at all. She also said, quote, I don't know where they're all at. I don't want to speak about their stories or everything. I'll tell them to tell their story or figure it out themselves. But I think anyone who has grown up in IBLP, it's definitely a process. And it's one that's very hard to come away from and kind of sort through. Yeah. So she's essentially kind of acknowledging what you said earlier, Tim. That there's there's two walls to break through here. So there's a lot that has to happen for her and her siblings to be in that same place. Because mm-hmm. um, you're dealing with like the family strife and dynamics and all that. And your entire religious upbringing, you know, like right. your entire belief system. And I do think it's humanly possible to not be in the exact same place as people to have a decent relationship. I mean, it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a lot less likely like likely in their situation that's shrouded in control by both of these things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's so highly controlled on both ends of this problem. These two things that you have to get past. It's like, it just makes it so much more unlikely. Yeah. As far as actually reading Jill's book goes, only two siblings have commented on that. Ginger said she hadn't yet, but was eager to. And has not updated since then as far as I know. 
enjoying Austin said that they will be reading it as well, but same for them. Have not heard anything since. Okay. And that's kind of all on that. Crickets otherwise. Yeah. Other than the fact that we know Jed, you know, Jed Jed, the OJ, does not approve, but fuck Jed <laughs> anyway. He's a smarmy asshole just like Pest, so his approval is not one that you need. Correct. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Since we were just on the topic of siblings, now let's compare Ginger and Jill's books. Now, to be clear, these books are entirely different. It's definitely not an apples-to-apples situation, so I'm not comparing in the sense of who wrote a better book. Um, Jill? That's where my Yeffie would say, you said it, not me. <laughs> uh, but for real, though, what I actually want to talk about is why I think they're different Besides okay. the obvious fact that they're different people and their stories and past will differ no matter what. But besides that. So if you remember back to one of the episodes on the book, um, I can't remember which one. It was probably the second one. But I said that to me, I felt like Ginger's book was a story of religion and Jill's book was a story of her family. Mm-hmm. Mostly the douche canoe that sperminated the baby cannon. But that their stories sort of overlapped on the idea of control. So I feel like Jill's story of control was rooted in her father, whereas Ginger's story of control is rooted in Bill Gothard. Right. So I was thinking about it, and this this is pretty much all my opinion from here on out, but I feel like it all came down to what caused each of them the most pain in their life. Okay. Ginger seemed to be much more anxiety-ridden. And that's certainly not to say that Jill didn't have anxiety. She speaks about it in her book and in a high control situation like she came from, it definitely, I think it just like results in that like more inherently in my opinion. Okay. But to, to me, Ginger seemed to be more anxiety ridden from like a younger age with it more like deeply rooted. And it seemed like she, you know, that's how it seemed to me. I don't know if that's how it seemed to you, but Mm -hmm. She attributes a lot of that to IBLP's teachings, which is totally understandable. (laughs) Fear is an entire point of it all, and it was working really well on Ginger. Like, (laughs) it was doing the job. Yeah. So, I think that lends to IBLP being, like, the bigger villain, so to speak, in Mm -hmm. Ginger's life and story. So, then to her book, by nature. Whereas Jill, on the other hand... She got massively fucking screwed over by her dad in a way that Ginger didn't. Correct. I mean, to clarify it for a second, all those kids were screwed over by him, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like every single one of them. But it was Jill pushing back and bringing it to light that made her get massively screwed over in a way, a whole different way that no other sibling had experienced up to that point, even the fucking pedophile one. Mm -hmm. Um or or that it appears any of them have to that magnitude since then. 
So then Jill's villain, and just to be clear, I say villain because we're talking stories and, you know, like, whatever. Mm -hmm. But so then Jill's villain is more her father and the avenues he used to exercise his control, whether it be religion, like, or the show or, like, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. So I want to take you back to something Jill said in Shiny Happy People. Quote, unfortunately, a lot of times you have to go through hell because it's not until then that you would risk everything to get out of those situations. Eventually, you start to making your own decisions, like the nose ring that I got, and it's piece by piece, little by little, to do what you need to survive. Obviously, we never know if we know the full story. We only have what they've told us to go by, and if we go by that, Ginger doesn't appear to have had a hell moment with her parents, like we know that Jill had. Mm-hmm. So just like Jill said, sometimes it's not until you experience that type of thing that you're even willing to go there. So if Ginger hasn't had that yet, it does sort of explain why she might be more protective of her parents in a sense. I think that's also like because the focus of Ginger's book was on Bill Gothard. I think it went back to what we were talking about. It gave them a scapegoat. And it really makes me wonder like what Ginger thinks what part she thinks that Lego hair played in all of this. No, because it came off as a way where it was like, well, dad, I know this wasn't your fault. This was this man. Mm -hmm. So it almost felt like the fucking play school, easy version of this where it's like, you're not, you're not getting, you're not dancing in the street and being so defiant. Like you're, you're not really having the hard conversation there. Well, this made me really, think about this whole situation and start to examine it through the lens of my own life experience. So for me, my relationship with my dad is kind of like Jill's book. I had the hell happen with him, so it made it kind of easier just to kind of like burn that shit to the ground with him. And and for the record, I don't think that Jill burned shit to the ground at all. But just um, be super open. Yeah, I think she told her story very respectfully, but mm-hmm. I mean, you get what I mean. Those experiences can drive you to be more forceful, to be more likely to draw hard lines in the sand and be empowered to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So then in my relationship with my mom, I feel like that's kind of Ginger's book. I don't have some of those more obvious traumas or hells with my mom Mm -hmm. so it was a lot easier for many years to make the focus be on my dad yeah so in ginger's book i i feel like my dad is bill gothard (laughs) stick with me people (laughs) Mm -hmm. i feel like my dad is bill gothard like the sort of like assigned villain of this story right yeah so because my dad was my bigger villain in my life story I was inherently more protective of my mom over the years. Yeah. The same way Ginger seems to be more protective of her parents. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost as if, as if, like, because in Ginger's story, mind, analysis of her life, whatever it is, because it's like to her, Bill Gothard is the bigger issue, she doesn't seem to feel the need so much to even, like, point the finger at her parents mm-hmm. and address her their role in it at all. The same way I, for a long time, didn't feel the need to address my mom's role and some of the things that hurt me because I felt like my dad was like the bigger issue. Mm-hmm. Is this making sense to anybody It else? does. Like he was either the bigger issue or 
he was the one that caused your mom to be a certain way and then you're and then that's what led to those things happen that's i'm glad you said that because i didn't even mm-hmm. think about it, but that's true it's almost been like well she's this way because of him yeah my parents my did parents this, this because, because of Bill no Gothard. that's a good point yeah and so it's like i really did sit there and think about it and i was like okay so she didn't talk about her parents and i was like oh it's kind of <laughs> yeah. i feel like i kind of understand this a little bit so like i mentioned earlier i think there's two major things at play here there's religion and then the fine the family dynamic and it's like they're both at two opposite ends with control as like this through line connecting them Mm -hmm. two together right like linking them and i feel like jill and ginger are both on those opposite ends with that common theme control like running between them so i feel like jill started to question her dad which led her along that line to begin questioning her religious upbringing Whereas Ginger seems to have questioned her religion first and it kind of remains to be seen if that will lead to her questioning or examining her parents and their relationships, Mm -hmm. which maybe she has and we don't know. I mean, I'm always leaving the fact that we only know as much as they fucking tell us (laughs) in the mix. Um, And again, sort of comparing myself to Ginger I didn't even really begin to dig into how I felt about my mom and her role in things, whether it be by action or inaction. Yeah. Until about a year ago, and I'm fucking Mm. 33, (laughs) fucking 33 years old. So I just have to say that, like, when I stopped and thought about like that, I'm like, I kind of get it. Mm -hmm. When someone or something else is like the bigger trauma in your life it's easy to not like look into the other things yeah you stop there because you're like oh i got my answer yeah it's like it's it's easy it's like really easy actually to be like you were the problem so i think ginger in her head is totally assigned everything to bill gothard and iblp Mm -hmm. and like and like you pointed out well that's why my parents did that they're really good people that's why they did that yeah jill she felt the fucking wrath of her father and what he can do so she was like they were they, they both just started on two different opposite ends and then there's some common area in there i also feel like ginger kind of did step one and then never continued to step two well that's kind of that's like, kind of what i want to get into next can i reference one like if you look at like the podcast serial Mm, podcast cereal um better with almond milk anyway there you go that's going to be our new our new marketing idea we're going to release podcast cereal (laughs) so when we were listening to cereal whitney had already listened to all of it and then we listened she had me listen to it when we were driving to to, i've listened to it four times (laughs) when we were driving to disneyland and one of the topics that comes up in there is confirmation bias so there's steps of that case that felt like because the the detectives were looking at it through the lens of oh we already think we know what the what the end result is everything became about just making those pe- like puzzle pieces fit rather than being able to look at things with an with a clear mind mm-hmm. and it feels like that relates to what you're talking about because if you're if your dad is the one that was the catalyst for all this you're going to kind of ignore 
some behaviors from your mother and some details about your relationship because you're already on the mindset of, well, my dad was the problem. Yeah. And I think what's happened is the years have gone on is that you've looked into it going, that's besides the point right now because that he's not, he hasn't been around forever. Yeah. So now you're looking at it where you're going, okay, well, as adults, that is no longer an excuse in what the decisions that you're making more recently. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that was where that hard, that hard analysis that you did on your, on you and your mother came from is because you were like, you can't keep using that as the reason for these things going on now. And if you compare that to like comparing myself to Ginger yet again, all those things with my dad still true. Mm-hmm. All of those yeah. things about Bill Gothard still fucking true, but it doesn't mean that there's not a whole other aspect to it. Like, hey, there's things that my mom did or didn't do, or things that like she was equally a part of the situation. The same way her, hey, her parents were still ultimately responsible for the fact that this is how they raised their fucking children. Yeah. So it was just the very first time. Like it was just such an odd thing, and I only even thought about it all today. Like that's not even something that I've been like. I've been thinking about this comparison between their two stories mm-hmm. for a long time, but it was literally just today while I was writing this that I was like, maybe that's kind of what Ginger's going through. Yeah. Obviously, this is all speculation, but this is just if that's if that's where she's at. I'm like, I can kind of get, I kind of get it where you just like she seems to have assigned this thing and then maybe she hasn't got like i said it took me fucking years before and and it's not to say that i thought that my mom was like this fucking innocent party all these years but mm-hmm. when you talk about actually really like getting into something maybe that's what she hasn't done that work yet because it was just mm-hmm. so much easier to be like well bill gothard was the problem you know? yeah and i'm like just driving that point home i definitely feel like even to this day your mother struggles with that because I think she still uses that as a as a crutch for why I don't do these things or why my life is this certain way. And it's like, you, you, I think you can examine that and say, yes, that was a catalyst for things then. And in the same breath also say, how long has it been since that happened? Like you have to make decisions now you can't just do nothing based off of, well, this thing happened to me well, that long ago. And you know the difference I mean? with Ginger, though, is her parents are still in it. So it's also 100%. Di- so that's yeah. the part where it does differ. But on that end, I was like, oh, I guess there's one little aspect where maybe I feel like there's a little bit of relationship in like, because what led me to this place was in the beginning of just really asking myself, why does it seem like Ginger is protecting her parents? Yeah. And then it just sent me on this whole fucking down this rabbit hole of like oh well i feel like sometimes i protect my mother why is that and then i'm like oh because you assign a villain but you know Mm -hmm. so it just kind of led me down this whole thing or maybe my analysis is entirely wrong and the only reason she hasn't mentioned her parents at all is because she signed the nd8 and is like scared shitless (laughs) this that is also a very viable option yeah and i'm pretty sure most of the other kids signed i i'd venture Jill was the only one who didn't. Or maybe it was a combo. Part part my massive analysis, part NDA. Let's go with that. That makes <laughs> it not seem like it was all for naught, you know? Yeah. But also, this still didn't protect Ginger. 
she she didn't ha- doesn't have the wrath that Jill had coming at her, but even Ginger has acknowledged that her relationship with her parents is complicated and distant. Because mm-hmm. you know he's still mad. Because just like how we were saying that TLC and Jim Bob were one and the same, IBOP and Jim Bob are one and the same too. So you yeah. know her her book like still pissed him off. Mm-hmm. Th- then Jill's came out and he realized it could get much, much worse. So um, <laughs> Jill upped the ante on that one. But yeah, that that didn't ultimately save her. Like she was like, you know, looking out for them and kind of protecting them. It's like ultimately like it didn't really work out. They're still mad at her. You know, he's still pissed at her. So whatever. Which is sad because it feels like you're mad at two of your daughters because of these things. And you didn't have remotely that amount of attention put towards your pedophile son. Oh, yeah. Like microcosm relating to iblp in general Mm -hmm. like where was this level of like i'm not even saying anger and vitriol i'm just saying where was this level of like care to deal with things whether you dealt with them in the right way or not where was the level of care when that was going on but no it's about the fact that your daughter was wearing pants and has a nose ring like But also, I even feel like it it boils down to the kind of what we talked about before of like parents, people being mad when you tell your story and it includes them and they don't come out in the best of lights. Where again, mm-hmm. if you want to look, you want to look fucking good, like be and do good. You know? Make better decisions. Yeah. But I think there's just really this thing about like parents and when their kids tell tell their story like i even think back okay i'm going to talk about gilmore girls my people so take me but stay with me for a second in the revival of gilmore girls rory wants to let write a book about her life and called the gilmore girls you know or like whatever mm-hmm. and lorelei it was like gets like mad at first and she's like no you can't do that and her thing is like I don't need my parents knowing that I did this because, you know, she was like a teen mom or like whatever. Mm-hmm. But and then later on, she's like, I didn't read it. Like she gives her like the like the manuscript and she's like, I didn't read it. But like comes around and is like, I trust you to like do this. But I think that's what it is, is like parents don't want you airing their dirty laundry because that's how they see it. They see mm-hmm. it as and I love Lorelai. <laughs> but I'm just saying that this is like a it's like a like this universal thing of like p- parents view their kids telling their stories as airing dirty laundry and it's like well the second you have children you insert themselves into their life story and every person gets to tell their story if they want to mm-hmm. and i think that's why it's important when your children are growing to show the fact that you can say that you made a mistake And you can say that, like, I maybe didn't make the best decision or like that level of humility is very hard to attain. But it's also super important because your child can tell the story with all of the decisions you made, bad or good, and present it in a way. And I feel like using that that analogy that you're talking about. Nothing in the story that Rory wanted to tell was done in a way where it's like, oh, look at my awful mom. But she still, like, Lorelai still took she it that, that way. She had that insecurity. There's yeah. that, yeah. And that level of humility to be able to say that 
look, I've made mistakes and I've, I've, you know, maybe didn't do the right things, but I was making it up like every other parent does. And, you know, like if you were able to have those very open and honest and very human conversations with your own children, which I feel is probably a little bit rare, that story doesn't have as much power over you because you already know that your child understands that you are not infallible but you're also willing to answer for your mistakes and be better. And they're the polar opposite of it where they own up to nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like the more you won't accept that you've done, you've made mistakes, the more mad you're going to be about them speaking at all about anything. Because mm-hmm. what do we, every, every parent is going to scar their child in some way. <laughs> it mm-hmm. comes with the territory. You're going to fuck up. Your job as a parent is to mitigate it. Like, that's yeah. like, that's your An job. answer for it. Like, yeah, I know they say this a lot in therapy and they say this a lot in, in kind of when people are working on themselves, but putting things out and giving, like airing things out lessens the amount of power that it has over you mm-hmm. and talking about them and talking proactively to the circumstances around it will ultimately lessen the grip it has in your soul because you're so shameful of certain things like Brene Brown one of her first big things she ever talked about was like shame motivates so much of our lives and this is one of those things Mm -hmm. shame is that part of it you're ashamed of you doing this thing but if you told your child this was the point of life that I was in. This is why I made this decision. I'm trying to be a better person now. All of a sudden, that shame is released. And they can see you as a human being, but when you're mm. Lego and canon, you never let that go. Yeah, put that and, facade up. And he, even in times that he would start to apologize to her, like we talked about in like episode two, it was always it was bullshit because it was always like, well, I made some mistakes, and then he followed up some something else, like even worse yeah so it's like that doesn't that doesn't count you're not really taking ownership of fucking anything it's the epitome of i'm sorry you felt that way oh yeah that's not an apology yeah so keeping on what we're you know we were kind of comparing the two um earlier i mentioned how derek said quote we don't want to have a false sense of healing either i think that's been a big part of our journey realizing that we want true healing not just faith healing and I feel like Ginger is mainly focused on faith healing at this yep. point. Again, because that seems to be her bigger trauma. But in general, I think Ginger's approach has been to kind of slap some band-aids on things and call it healed, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, purely speculation opinion on my end, but I, I don't think her anxiety is as healed as she thinks it is. <laughs> But Speak because, in another form. Yeah, but because she can hear drums now and not fear the wrath of God, I think she thinks like, <laughs> oh, it's like mostly better, you know. <laughs> I also don't think she's in a place to even comprehend more healing at this point. Like I said before, I th- I think Ginger is about as free as she can even fathom being right now. This is it for her right now. Like this is mm-hmm. this is it. This is good for her. And even her faith healing which i say with air quotes like we've talked about is not something i feel she truly came to on her own her healing was essentially prescribed to her by her husband who's hitched himself to the john macarthur wagon 
So it's not like she had real options to explore and come to a conclusion on her own anyway. And and not saying that you can't do the work and healing process alongside like alongside a partner and come to a conclusion with them. But her situation was heavily influenced and that's being generous. So like that's just not how it went down at all, you know. Yeah. So it's just like I just yeah. And we talked about it. She exchanged one system of control for another. Mhm. And another thing, just kind of in the comparison of the two, so Jill outright in both her book and in interviews calls Ivy Pia Colt and Ginger kind of in the same way. She kind of handles everything with a bit more kid gloves. She likes to say Colt's like or in interview after interview, she would say things like Colt like and then followed up with, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll leave that to the experts. Like she would never just like. She didn't want to commit. She didn't want to. Yeah, like, she wouldn't just call side. it a cult. Yeah. And even then, she could have been like, according to experts, and there are now, you know, but she wouldn't even say experts call it a cult. Like, she was just like, but I'll just leave it to them. Like, yeah. she just overall is very uncomfortable with drawing those hard lines. Mm-hmm. I think about as the most comfortable she could get was with calling Bill Gothard the problem. Right. Beyond that, talking about family, too scary. Yeah. actually calling it a cult too scary and i'm not like knocking her i'm just pointing out that like she was not ready for that yeah and what by not ready she may not even be in the place like Correct. you know like i don't think she's in that place with her parents i think she thinks iblp is a cult and she just won't say it so that's her <laughs> just kind of like kind of pussing out a little bit <laughs> but i think with her parents it really is like a not fully there yeah. So that kind of sums up my comparison between the two. So now let's move into the reception of the book, of Jill's book, um, in the public. Jill got an overwhelmingly, you know, good amount of support. And for that, I'm very happy for her. Mm-hmm. I read through the comments and reviews. And when people said that they started crying just reading the de- dedication, I was like, same. Yeah. <laughs> Remember how we were like, uh. Mm-hmm. So many people thanking her for sharing because they could relate. People praising her for, you know, saying she didn't drag her family, no matter what all these other people say. <laughs> uh, but just, yeah, the majority of people were, are very supportive. But then there's always those assholes who just aren't. I saw a lot of the same old tired arguments of, you say you didn't want to be on the show and you didn't want attention and, You write a book when she has very specifically addressed how her story has been told for her all these years. And Mm -hmm. she wanted to tell it in full for herself for the very first time. So fuck off. And also, you know, wanting to be on a not wanting to be on a show doesn't mean she can't do other things. Right. I'm just like. That doesn't fucking mean anything. Mm-hmm. That's not this. It's not the same. Controlling your story versus just like being not the same. Yeah. Lots of dishonor comments on you, your on cow, your cow, all of it. Um, you know, just like you're dishonoring your parents type bullshit. I am so fucking tired of people saying that she needs to honor like her abuser. And yes, Jim Bob is an abuser. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like fuck right off with that. It's like you need to honor your parents. Fuck off. Yeah. One lady in her comments said, "Quote: 
My daddy has done much worse things to me, but I will never dishonor him the way you have dishonored your parents. That's not okay. That's not something to be proud of, lady. (laughs) There's no merit badge for that. Like, what the (laughs) fuck? There's no honor in it. Honoring your abuser merit badge. Insanity. I've gotten much worse. Oh, great for you. Why are you you proud of this? We're still not saying that's okay. It was fucking wild to me. Oh, man. But honestly, though, it was some of the Amazon reviews that really sent me over the edge. More than the comments. That's what got me all worked up that one night. And Tim was like, maybe you need to talk about it. Or not read Amazon reviews. <laughs> but it, I was doing like, I felt like I was doing like the, because re- I was like, okay, I didn't get to talk about all these things. I want to look into it. And then, mm-hmm. so a one star review was titled Sad and Sick Story, which I would agree with if it weren't a one star <laughs> review where we know where it's going. Mm-hmm. But Sad and Sick Story, yes, it yes it is. <laughs> so ready for this? Oy. My blood actually boiled reading this for the first time. All right. So because the title was Sad and Sick Story dot dot dot, it starts out dot dot dot. And no, I'm not talking about Jim Bob. Why do people like that love ellipses? Your dad loves they an ellipse. Fe- I know because they make it feel like it gives their words gravi- like gravitas. It doesn't. It's annoying. See, I do it like in writing where it's in the middle of a sentence kind of like as like a... Like the way it should be used. But like, I don't do it to like end things. Like your dad always, oh, I actually have come across it in my memories that popped up on my thing. Um, Your dad would always leave comments and he would do it at the end. And I literally commented where I was like, why do you have to be so like, are you trying to be mysterious? Like, what are you trying to do? I'm like, in everything you write. And then he like was like, oh, I'm just like, he gave some like bullshit excuse. But I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. It was always some like half judgy comment that ended in an ellipses. And I was just like, what the fuck are you doing here? I feel like it's the equivalent of like looking at notes and it says wait for applause. Like I feel like that's what it is. Like they feel like putting ellipses on there is going to be like wait for everybody to gasp in excitement. You know what I mean? Yeah. Another one that your mom and a lot of people of of her age use. Just saying dot dot dot. (laughs) Fucking sends me man. Uh, Any hoozle. So sad and sick story, dot, dot, dot. And no, I'm not talking about Jim Bob. I'm not IBLP. I always liked all of the grown Duggar kids except Josh. I wanted to hear Jill's side of the story. I read every word. And I'm so sorry to her fans, but I was really disgusted by her attitude and values. Wow. Her mind had clearly been corrupted by years of ungodly therapy and advice. And I don't mean this because she criticized her family. The four words she uses most in this book would be trigger, trauma, victim, and abuse. I f- okay, number one, I don't think that's the four most used words. Number one. I'm going to say the <laughs> and a. A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe is. Do you know what I almost just said right now? I almost said the. <laughs> you said the, the and, and I'm... <laughs> the. Mm-hmm. You know, all of the the things, the things. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I and several people I know have been seriously abused throughout our lives. Again, not a merit badge, by the way. That's uh, bad, not good. Not, not a good thing. 
But this girl had nothing more than a rocky relationship with her loving dad. Her loving dad, she says. Her loving dad and a pitifully weak personality. It was so insulting to people who are genuine survivors. Oh, is it the, is it is it a fucking contest now? Did I miss did I miss the, the contest? Oh, she's going on and on about the in quotations trauma she claims to have endured. Yet the only true trauma she ever faced was at the hands of Josh IBLP and the awful media who exposed her story without her consent. This entire book was nothing more than a narcissistic, self-involved, and hopelessly unaware book written by a greedy, bitter couple. I can't. I fucking can't. (laughs) And I'm not even reading all of it. It's so fucking long. So long. That's maybe one quarter of it right there that I just read. So this is obviously somebody that, like, likes to hear themselves talk. Because you know that when this person wrote this review, they didn't just write it and hit send. You know, they like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, read it multiple times and like jacked themselves off and then were like, yep, now I'm going to finally. They're like, put, oh yeah. uh, When they're like editing, they're like, oh yeah, put trauma in uh, quotations. (laughs) So, you know, this is like maybe a quarter of it. I cut a lot of it out, but basically it rails against therapy. Go figure. But listen to how it ends. So if you have a biblical worldview, oh, they sound Christian and mad, you know, because they, <laughs> you know, just kind of like the people in Shiny Happy People that came away from hours of people talking about their abuse and all of a sudden they're like, you're persecuting us Christians. Yeah. Um, so if you have a biblical worldview, I would highly recommend not reading this book. It might be trigger. It, it, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. It might, in quotations, trigger you, ironically. Oh, you're getting Ooh, she really getting got us sassy there. there. Of course, if you just love victim culture and believe that everybody has PTSD and triggers and trauma and other self-involved nonsense like that, and family relationships can be tossed aside like garbage, then I suppose this book would be like catnip to you. Read away. How many... Uh... How many children do you think she has that don't talk to her? <laughs> and then it's like posting on Facebook about her ungrateful children right. who have been yeah. led astray. Did you get a Satan. name, a first name of this person? It's, it was uh, just purchaser. You know, like the oh, Amazon okay. ones. The where anonymous one. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder how many adult children she has that chose not to have a relationship with her. I'm, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's uh, highly likely. But... It's like, oh, yes, trauma is all about being self-involved. Yep. Got it. Yep. These people are fucking crazy. Like, it's unbelievable. I I feel like it just, it boils down to those who, who just don't want to get it. They won't get it because they don't Mm -hmm. want to. Yeah. And if you don't want to understand, you never will. And then you just end up like this asshole. But it's also that, like, it's the understanding, and you saw this in multiple kind of reviews and stuff, where the people that are saying that, you know, they went through stuff too, 
Number one, you're equating whatever you went through with something that somebody else went through, which you can't do that because you don't know people's circumstances. It's funny. It's such an argument for these people. And then on that same vein, it's the thought process. Like you said, it's not a contest. And it's also not a thing of like, well, I went through this and I got through it. Well, everybody's different. And if you're like, well, my dad did worse things to me. We still don't think that's okay. I know. Like, like, what do you think this is? Yeah, this isn't me going, well, only her. Only the worst person who's ever been abused in the history of ever yeah. can complain. Yeah, that's still not okay. Yeah, it's like you have to be the worst of the worst to ever actually say anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that these types of people do serve, um, you know, humanity with one thing. And it's as a fucking stellar example of everything not to be. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't want to be a, like a miserable twat waffle. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, policing other people's trauma and yeah. experiences mm-hmm. and like, fuck off. Yeah. So that review was maddening to say the very least. And I didn't want to end this dig in that manner. So let's read a more humorous review. Okay. Still one star, though. Chris, so we got a name this time. Okay. He titled his review, Awful. (laughs) And I think that every book, podcast, restaurant, across the world has gotten at least one review with that same title. It's what connects us all together as like you know creators and you know in the arts it's a part of the arts you know have you even made it in life if someone hasn't you know called you awful yep i think it's like a it's like a it's like a rite of passage almost you're like oh great happened cool this isn't just a pickle reference but i have relished in being (laughs) (laughs) in being the villain in certain people's stories um so titled awful any hoozle Chris said, I did not like this book for many reasons and felt sick to my stomach after reading it. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that it's not for the reasons that he should feel sick about it. Okay. In my head, I imagined the Amazon thing where it's like people that bought this book also bought this and it would be like kaopectate or like some (laughs) you know pepto i was looking at this and you know how there's like this many people found your review helpful like when it said like 24 people i'm like fuck you all i'm like fuck you chris and the 24 fucking people that found this helpful fuck all of you (laughs) and he was also chris goes on to say the part where she says it's okay (laughs) it's okay for christians to drink beer as long as it's not more than two beers per sitting was deplorable to me. Oh. And there it is. <laughs> and her talking about how wonderful it was that she and her husband were drinking alcohol together now, as opposed to her abusive and sheltered upbringing that denied her beer, alcohol, and nose piercings, was incredibly sad and off-putting. Okay, so let me get this straight. Much like, again, with the shiny happy people thing. We're listening to this girl pour her heart out about, you know, pain and abuse. And her father putting her pedophile brother abuser. But you come away with this 
your main takeaway is that she thinks it's okay to drink beer. That's a problem. <laughs> All of that and what's deplorable to you. What's It's not deplorable that her father protected her abuser. Not deplorable that her father shoved her into, you know, saving the situation. Not deplorable that he didn't pay them and that he lied and that was he was trying to itemize her. None of those things, you know, was terrible to her. Try to cut her down with her words and make everything that she liked to do not as important as, as what he was doing. None of that deplorable. It's the two beers. <laughs> That's the problem. Oh, man. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, incredibly sad and off-putting, he says. Chris then goes on to give the same tired argument of, if you don't like the spotlight, you should delete all of your social media. And he also calls her greedy and says that her dad paid for everything for many years. Two things. Everything is in all caps, by the way. And news flash, Christopher. That's how parenting works. <laughs> you pay for things everything actually mm-hmm. that's how it works yep but he ends his review with this so he goes on his little tirade about those things not as not as you know interesting to me but he ends it with this quote i literally couldn't stomach this book and cannot understand how it got so many good reviews Somebody check on Chris. He is just sick. Sick. <laughs> oh, man. Those are something else, right? At least wow. that one's humorous, but it's like, oh, that's what's deplorable. Okay. Oh, these, these people with their fucking backwards fucking, like, outrage. That's the problem here. Oh, and shiny happy people is that, that they made homeschooling look bad if that, that that's your takeaway the, 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 the takeaways is unbelievable i cannot you know earlier i was talking about people who don't want to understand will never understand i don't want to understand this i no. admit it i'm look, good now you're in it i'm good yeah. i don't want to understand i got two things hit me uh now that last week tonight with john oliver is back his his big story in I think the sec- second episode since they've been back since the writer's strike is on homeschooling. Fascinating watch. So that's not my what I'm digging on, but that is a... But it should be. But it's it's so interesting and it goes into a lot of aspects of homeschooling um, that I think would be pretty interesting to people that are here. So that's an interesting watch. You talk about people that just want to find a reason to be mad or misplaced outrage. It's my favorite story. And I've been thinking about it. Like, maybe I will do a pickle episode on, like, the kinds of challenging folks that I've experienced working in food service. But my favorite was when I was the chef of a banquet department or a buffet department at a casino here in the state. And the servers would always come to me and go, chef, do you mind go talking to the the guy at 63 or the guy at table, whatever? And I would always ask them, is it positive or negative? Just so I could like mentally prepare, maybe prepare my face for how it needed (laughs) to be going out to the table. 
Um, and this server goes, I don't know, I can't really tell, but the lady's been cranky the whole time. And I said, okay. So I went out to the table, and it was in our middle section, and it was a booth, and then the inside of this little two-top was a regular chair. And I went, and it was an older couple. And by older, I mean they looked like they were probably in their like mid to late 60s. And the guy just had his head down, and he was eating his food. And the woman was sitting in the booth, and I walked over, and I said, How are you folks doing today? My name's Tim. I'm one of the chefs here. And before I could finish my statement, the old woman stood up. <laughs> stood? Oh. Oh, my. Like, you know, that like half stand you have to do in like a booth? Stuck her bony finger in my face. <laughs> oh, man. And while it was shaking, goes, you should be ashamed. Oh, this is a fucking buffet at a casino. What did I do as the buffet chef to be ashamed, right? In my head, I'm like, did was she sick? Did she find some foreign object in her food? Like, what is it? You want to know what her concern was? Do you remember this story? I, you know, I, I cannot think of the specific thing, but I know as soon as you say it, I'll know it. And I said, what seems to be the problem, ma'am? And she says... Your desserts are too big. Oh, you did, I don't remember this then. You should be ashamed. Ashamed. Oh. Bony finger in my face, ashamed. And I looked at her and she had been she had been she had one piece of pie. And she was so angry and I mean like shaking, <laughs> visibly shaking. And I remember telling her, did you not like the piece of pie that you got? And she said, this piece of pie is too small. And I looked at it. And I it took me a while to realize why she was mad. Now, mind you, you are at an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> and I tried to process how to explain to this woman what that means. You can take two pieces... If you think it's too small, you know you can grab two pieces of that piece of pie. Correct. Now, your basic, like, you buy it from a store piece of pie, we did used to cut those in half. And I proceeded to tell her the reason why we do that, ma'am. Mix and match. Is so you don't feel like you're handcuffed to one giant piece and you can can have multiple items. I can have pecan and banana cream. Right, you can the you can pick multiple things, and I told her this is a buffet. Would you like me to get you another piece of pie? And she was so mad, and she declined <laughs> my very friendly offer. And my favorite part about all of this is that the entire time that this woman is fucking shaking, might as well have been fucking foaming at the mouth about how mad she was that the pieces of dessert at this all-you-can-eat buffet were too small her shamed her husband didn't fucking bat an eye he stayed eating his head was down he was he literally was just he did not stop he didn't look up like he, he's embarrassed and acting it's not hap- like acting like it's not happening or is just used to this behavior. the energy that that i got was that Glenda does this every fucking time they go out to eat, and it's just so passe now that he's like, you know how at the end get of your back meal, to his crab. right? You end of your meal, you usually get your your bill and your mint. 
he was like, the end of ours is always Glenda freaks out about something dumb, but you know what? I'm just going to keep on eating. (laughs) She was so angry. Like, I cannot explain to you how much, like, like how many stress chemicals were flowing through this, like, 69-year-old's body. And what got us here? The idea of not understanding? We were talking about people wanting Wanting to be be outraged outraged or having misplaced outrage about things that either have a really simple solution or that just don't make sense. Do you know what you you can almost guarantee? If she was capable of operating a phone or a computer, she would definitely leave you a review with the title of awful. Oh, yeah. Awful. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you see the size of their pie? Oh, man. I remember, sorry, now I'm on one. When I worked at that same buffet, we did a remodel. And then when we had it, we had a carving station, like a really beautiful carving station. that had like rotisseries behind it and stuff. And um, we did uh, flank steak on the carving station. And we got a lot of complaints. Go figure. There's a lot of older folks that ate there. So we tried not to be super, super adventurous with a lot of our food. We would We would put really good food out. But we would definitely not be like doing anything crazy or off the wall. And we would season our flank steak with salt and pepper. And I remember, I know, and we're breaking some culinary rules here, Scoffier. And I remember the manager that I was really good friends with, Mike, got called to a table and he comes back and he was like, what'd you put on the flank steak? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, this woman at table 70 swears up and down that you put like habanero peppers on it <laughs> and it was this old it's woman. because it was like kosher salt and so they're like Woo! <laughs> yeah it was the pepper they were like what kind of pepper did the chef put on there because it is so spicy it was salt and pepper <laughs> Like, that's all it was. But she swore up and down that we, like, dragged this thing through Calabrian chilies. And I'm like, oh, honey, like, it's n- not not the case at all. Oh, that casino was a wild place to work. Uh, yeah, yeah, in many ways. Part of, our, part of our problem was the fact that they would bus in people from these, like, older communities. And they would come in on the bus. They would be stuck there for <laughs> they six their own hours. Gus? Did they have, was it a Gus? They, they did have their own bus. It was not Gus. Like, this is, like, full, like, full gigantic bus. And they would bring all these people in from, like, the 55 and over communities. They'd be stuck there for six hours. They would show up. They would... Complain for four and a half of the six. They would, but then they would... When they would lose money, they would go to the food service operations, and they were awful to the servers, to the bartenders... To all of these people, and I legitimately had the GM of the casino that was like, I they're they're such a huge money maker, and they're obviously people that want to spend money here, but we know that when they come, there's a percentage of them that are going to lose money, and they're going to be really really bad terrible, yeah, yeah, because they're pissy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, wild ride at that place. Um, on a totally random note, but when you were talking about having to prepare your face, it sent me into my thing about how my face is a problem. And just this past weekend, meeting my new boss, um, she her husband had cooked us dinner, and like she and her husband had cooked us dinner, we're sitting there eating, and it came up in conversation. And I was like, oh, I think I'm stone faced, but apparently I'm not. And I told some stories like of my serving days and like various things. And then the next day when we were like together for like work things at one point she looked at me and said oh you really don't 
<laughs> you really do show all your emotion on yeah. your face. And I was like, oh, yeesh, day one. <laughs> so, um, reporting that that has not gotten better despite my best efforts. <laughs> so, yeah, me showing up to a table, not uh, d- doesn't no. work. I don't, it, it, I can't hide it. Yeah. I, I thought, um, well, I, I'd written down one more thing to try to end it on a lighthearted note after those reviews, but I think you just left it on a kind of left heart, <laughs> lighthearted note, but I'll just throw it in anyway. It's going to leave you with a little famey go fame action. Okay. In regards to Jill's book. She can't help herself. Oh. And like she, <laughs> she's posted a couple different versions of this. Like one was just like a TikTok of, of like words on the screen that was like, "You should write, Amy. You should write a book." And like her, like looking around on the screen, like. Mm-hmm-hmm. But my 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 favorite was when she was like, "Everybody is saying, Amy, you should write a book." And I'm like, "This is about Jill right now," like. If it's about Jill, you just don't post that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm like, this is why, you know, people people were like, oh, don't be mean to her. Or I'm like, this is why she got the nickname Famey. Yeah. Because if it really was all about Jill, you just wouldn't post that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody's telling me, but, but it's not about me. It's about Jill. Then, then shut the fuck up. Then don't say then just, anything. Just don't say anything. Yeah. And you know what? If you write a book down the road, I mean, if somebody, by all means, everyone can tell their story. I'm sitting here saying everybody can. Mm-hmm. By all means, tell your fucking story. I don't give a shit. But you're piggybacking off this and acting like, you guys, this is Jill's moment. <laughs> so it was oh, entertaining to me, at least. Ugh. Fame, you're not helping yourself. No. Stop it. Um, yeah, so I think that's all I got for uh, the episode. Okay. I think I got out everything I wanted to say. Okay. I think we can put it to rest now. <laughs> all right, so here's our wind down. You said you had you had uh, one ready to roll in the holster. I did. So we are going to enter our... I've actually heard from one listener that they really enjoy this like little like wind down at the end so we are going to start what are we digging on what are you digging on this week tim you go first i always go first okay so i am digging on friendships or relationships where no matter how much time is passed in between you just pick right back up where you were and there's no like you weren't around or I haven't heard from you or blah, 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 blah. You just pick right back up and it's just like it was the day before you stopped talking, you know. And I appreciate that because as an adult, yeah, it's hard. Mm-hmm. I've always, actually always said, I remember telling like two of my friends to this once in like a text thread. I was like, I think I might be like a hard person to be friends with. And they're like, what do you mean? You're not a hard person. And I'm like, what I mean is, even when I was younger, I think it's, I think people are more on my level now because we're adults and people are busy and most people around me have children and things Mm. but we're all busy with jobs and fucking trying to make it through this thing called fucking life (laughs) so i think that now people are more on my level but i felt like this even young Mm -hmm. where i was the type of person where it's like hey i will be here you know thanks for a text message when you really need me i'll be here but like if you're looking for like a day-to-day going out with you all the time friend i i'm not that 
Yeah. Like, I'm just not your girl for that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I always felt like it's kind of specific when you get into a friendship with me. Like, there's certain things I'm going to be and certain things I'm not going to be. Right. And I felt like when I was younger, that was like a little bit more of a strong struggle where I was just like, I don't know that this is what people are looking for in a friend. Mm-hmm. But now I kind of feel like we're all getting to that level. And so it's yeah. just kind of nice where you're just like, yeah, everything's the same. So I appreciate a good friendship that just doesn't skip a beat no matter how much time has passed. Mm-hmm. And I've like been talking to a lot of like, you know, like friends recently where I have friends that I go four months where we haven't talked to and then all of a sudden you're talking and then it's just fine. Yeah, definitely. I feel that. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. It's like the more, it's like the mature version when you're trying to like do your own surviving yeah. And it's just that understanding, you know. And I also feel like you are that person. But I feel like if there was a point where your friends really needed you or they were going through something serious, I feel like you would be there. And, and that's always been kind of like my thing. It's like that's that's not a question in my mind. Mm-hmm. It's like, but do I, am I going to see you twice in a month? Mm, probably not. Like, right. you know what I mean? yeah and like the thought of too many plans stresses me out like you know like (laughs) like, it's just right it's just how it is and so i've always hoped that my friends understood that hey like when you actually really need like an actual friend like for real for real Mm -hmm. i am here to go to the random whatever the fuck on a saturday night Mm. I'll I'll show up for your birthday. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. that type of thing. Yeah. But, makes yeah. Sense. So it's just nice that right now it's like, yeah, we're all just like on the same page and it's nice. I agree with that a hundred percent. I think I had one specifically uh based off of something that happened last week, but I think I'm gonna postpone it. Okay. And I think I wanna go back to something that we can consume. Because that first one that was like the song by Twain that I really, really loved. Like, it's just something something little here and there. So, I think mine is going to be the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Which I still haven't seen. I watched it on a plane. He, went, he talked about it for forever. And I feel like I'm very forgiving when it comes to media that i consume i understand when people are trying to do new things or even if it's not executed well i'm like i can see what they were trying to do and give it a little bit of grace um so i feel like my reviews aren't like super polarizing i just know whether i liked it or not but i'm not like that was trash you know um which i think is silly anyway i mean who like you didn't like it move the fuck on yeah so the thing about this movie that i appreciated was the fact that i could appreciate it on the level of artistic filmmaking i can appreciate it on the level that the writing was really smart i felt like there was parts of it that were just absolutely ridiculous in a good way like what was happening was absolutely ridiculous there was points of the movie where i was horrified i was embarrassed i was laughing like i cried multiple times like it legitimately the name fits like i feel like i got so much of everything but when you break through all of it at the end, it's a story about, go figure, children and parents. And it was about being, you know, a, a child of immigrants and how hard it is to break out as a parent to see your child in a certain way. 
different from the culture that you grew up in and then from the child's aspect it's like the i'm not doing this to be rebellious like these are choices that i want to make and then what support do you have from your parents like there legitimately was so many amazing things about this movie and when it first came out in theaters it didn't do great just because no not a lot of people saw it and then it got reviewed so well when it streamed that they released it again and it like blew up again so and i still have to see it man i like what he said i talked about he it talked about it for, forever forever like he was just like can i talk to you and i'm like oh, i'm here i'll listen and he's just like okay and then, then there's this oh and it's amazing like i mean he like i haven't heard him talk about a movie like this in a very long time it was insane and uh the actor that played um uh, data and short round from indiana jones is in it older and then there's like a whole line of like this is the first time he's acted in a long time he's been like he's been doing like stunt stuff and now he's in a bunch of things because he came back but everyone was like he did such an amazing job and everything about it was good i'm telling you it's it's so ridiculous when i try to tell the people the shtick of the of the movie and then when they've watched it and they're like, I get it. I get why you were so freaking out about this movie. So that's going to be my mind. If you have a chance, everything, everywhere, all at once. Incredible. We're digging it. We are digging it. Mildred, do you have anything you want to add? She's asleep. Uh, yeah, she's um, asleep on the pile of laundry. Yep. Much all right. like her mother. <laughs> all right. Well, with that being said... Feel free to buy us a pickle or a coffee at buymecoffee.com slash digging up the dug. Enjoy some episode related visuals and Mildred related things on our Instagram at digging up the Duggers pod. And if you'd like to send us some snail mail, we do have a PO box five, nine, seven, three Glendale, Arizona, eight, five, three, one, two. What was the show that used to have the, was it zoom? Come on in zoom. Come on in zoom. Come on in zoom. Oh, two, one, three, four. Or uh, it's like Boston mass. (laughs) Oh yeah. Send it to zoom. Oh, two, one, three, four. Zoom, zoom, zoom. By the way, you guys, I am fluent. And Ubby Dubby. Oh my goodness. Maybe I'll speak it for you guys at some point. But uh Yabba Abba Yabam uh Flubba Wubbin Dubbin Ubby Dubby. So uh just saying. Calm down my mom. Just saying. <laughs> Put an ellipsis on the end of that. I think actually, because Whitney always talks about Zoom, I never really watched Zoom. That was a little oh, bit Oh god. Like I was it just so, wasn't in my sphere. So into it. Um but we did have a fellow digger that said that they kind of wished we had a theme song for our P.O. Box. So maybe maybe we'll have to come up with that. But the only thing I think of is the old bumpers from Sesame Street. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And then it would show like the little like elevator moving up. That was written by the Pointer Sisters. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And the art, just that one hits me. So um, the big lesson to take away from this week is, you know what? Get two desserts. You'll be a lot happier. I won't be ashamed. A band. Wabi abba thabank yabu fobar laba sabi nabing nabi sabwabik habab abba wabar dabarabal wabik abba habad. Okay. <laughs>